Chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says this, book of Matthew. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Very good. You ever had a week that changed your life? I mean, truly changed your life. Nothing was ever the same after you experienced what you experienced that week. I can remember different times in my life where that happened. Um, sometimes bad things, like difficult things, hard things, not enjoyable things, but they keep stacking up all on each other. And it, my life was never the same after that. After the pain that I experienced, after the loss that I had experienced in that difficult time, probably many of you have had that. Um, but I also remember these types of life-changing weeks. I sat in those, those camp chairs at this church. And as you go through those experiences, and they seem so real and so raw in the moment, and people make these lofty goals, these lofty commitments, and then you get back to ordinary life, and you see those people that made these lofty goals and these lofty commitments not follow through with them. It can just be tough. Year after year, by the time I was a senior or grad, it just, I became a little bit pessimistic. A bit cynical of the whole process of these people broken, weeping with tears, and then they get back and August 15th rolls around and nothing has changed. Don't you remember that mountain where you said those things and we committed to those things? The irony of the whole process is that I was actually one of them. It was really easy to see it in other people. I forgot to take the blank out of my own eye. I would go, I would cry, I would say these things, and Nothing would change in my life. What is it that makes something not just a mountaintop experience, but something that truly changes us forever? We all heard the same things. We all experienced the same bit of God's creation. We were all around the same people. Why is it that some of us will truly be changed as a result of it, and others, that thing, that mountaintop experience, will just become a distant memory from our past? While we were there, we discussed the last week of Jesus, a week that truly changed history, everything. One week that everything before was leading up to and everything after is altered because of. We looked at these contrasting ideas within that final week. Uh, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. The vast depth and seriousness of sin and the beautiful, amazing, complete forgiveness offered in the sacrifice of Jesus. The death of Jesus and the life and resurrection of Jesus. 
We looked at failure, Peter specifically, and the disciples who were scattered in the, as a result of their lack of understanding of Jesus, and then the restoration they experienced because of encountering the risen Lord. We talked about the fears we have of not sharing the good news of Jesus and the importance of living in that commission that he's given us, and that we don't need to fear. And some of those themes will come back up today, but particularly, we are asking this question, what makes something a mountaintop experience rather than a week that changes everything? Um, can I be honest with you all, with you all? It breaks my heart to look back on the students who seemed so genuine, so real, and so raw with the commitments that they made to Jesus, and to know now they don't stand with them. It'll, it'll surprise me someday when I look back and many of you who have decided you want to follow Jesus and be all in with him and then at some point decide not to. One of the things I believe is that, yes, just like me, it breaks God's heart when this happens. When people who claim Jesus then turn their back on him. I also don't think it surprises him. It surprises me, it doesn't surprise him. Jesus knew it would happen. He knew there would be times when seed was scattered, the gospel is proclaimed, everyone hears it, everyone's in the same setting, everyone's among the same people, but for whatever reason, some people hear it and they just reject it. Some people hear the truths of God's word and they say, I don't understand, or maybe worse, I don't care. They're hard-hearted. For one reason or the other, they have decided they don't want what is being offered. They'd rather keep going in their own way. They think they know better than the God who made them. Uh, I say those words and I see faces, interestingly, faces that aren't here today. People who experience the things that were being said in the midst of God's creation, in the midst of God's people said, no thank you. Sometimes following Jesus is just too hard. We hear the truths, we understand it, and at some level we respond positively to it, but then we get back to everyday life and it's just too hard. It's too difficult for me. It seemed great when I was on the mountain at Youthquake, but now that I'm at school, on the team, at my job, in my home, it's just too hard to sacrifice all of this for Jesus. Others, they get deceived, distracted by the things of this world. They maybe have a faith that is genuine, but then there's no submission to Jesus as their king. It's this fruitless faith that is a knowledge, an assent to truth that has no saving power for your life. It doesn't actually change you. You decide to prioritize your life in such a way that everything else takes precedent over our God and Savior and King. And we talked about this one. Probably one of the biggest reasons people don't go all in with Jesus is that we fear what will happen if we do more than we fear what will happen if we don't. One of the reasons people do not go all in with Jesus is that we fear what will happen if we do more than what will happen if we don't what we'll lose, what we'll have to give up, what we'll have to change, 
We fear being lonely. We fear being ostracized to be seen as weird or foolish in the ways of the world. We see all of our friends and family going this way, saying these things, believing these things, and we are going to go the other way. That's tough. It's scary. Nobody wants to be alone. Nobody wants to be the weird one. Nobody wants to stand out, stick out like a sore thumb to bring on difficulty on their life. We're people who follow the path of least resistance. We like the easy, the comfortable. We like, if we're honest, the ways the world has defined success. Stillwater is very good at producing people who are successful. And it's easy for us to be deceived and distracted by those things. It's easy to fall into the trap that following Jesus is too hard. It's easy to allow our fear of following Jesus overcome our fear of not following him. Jesus says something pretty interesting in Luke chapter 12. He says, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell. Yes, I say to you, there is one to fear. That's not very difficult to understand. Many places in the Bible does take some work to try to understand something that was written so long ago to a different group of people in a different time and place. But that one's pretty straightforward. Jesus was pretty clear. All too often we let our fear of the things of this world overcome the fear of the Lord. One of, if not the most common commands in the scripture is to fear the Lord. We fear the people, the situations, the circumstances of this life more than the one who has control over this life and the life to come. We live in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and you being killed for your faith here is Not right now. Maybe someday in the future. I don't know. I can't predict that. But not now. There are places in the world now, if you go there and decide to become a missionary, an apostle, a sent one, that you will risk your life because of your faith in Jesus, because of the great antagonism toward the faith. But that's not here. You're not scared of those who are going to kill the body, but we are scared of those who will kill our reputation our status, our influence. We're scared of what we might lose if we go all in with Jesus. Here's something interesting he says next. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We serve a God who created all things and didn't just stand back and watch it go, but is aware of it, is intimately and intentionally part of it. So much so that the little birds and flocks that you see flying around, when one bashes into your door, your glass door at your house trying to get a snack and then falls to the ground dead, he knows. Anytime you smash that bug that's in your house, not living in its own house, he knows. Like, he knows. He created those things. He knows when life leaves a living thing because he made it. He knows all things. He's aware of all things. He even cares for those things. How much more us? How much more those who have been made in his image, who he put in a unique power over the rest of creation to represent him in a unique and special way, to relate to him in a unique and special way? How much more us? 
And yet, we fear the things of this world more than we fear the one who made it. Here's what he says. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels. In other words, you can't just say you're with me, and then when it comes to it, you don't claim me. You live your life as if you're one with me, and yet when it comes down to it and somebody asks you, you don't say anything about it. As we look through our lives, both the things that are seen and the things that are unseen, there's no evidence that you actually claim me as your God, your King, your Savior, and your friend. Why would you think that you can deny me before your brothers and sisters and then somehow I'm going to accept you before my family? It just doesn't make sense. We allow fear of something, someone, to overcome our fear of the Lord. We allow our love for someone or something to overcome our fear for the Lord. He says something similar in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 37. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake because of me will find it. It's not just that we fear the world more than we fear God. We love ourselves. We love the world. We love things that might even be worthy of love more than we love the one who made it all. In verse 22 of that same chapter, Jesus says, you're going to be hated by everyone because of me. You're going to be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What is it? What is it in us that allows these mountaintop experiences to just become distant memories of nostalgia from our past rather than something that changes everything? What causes some of us to not endure to the end, knowing full well that we'll be hated because of our faith, knowing full well we may lose friends and family, knowing full well we may miss opportunities because of our allegiance to Christ and Christ alone over and everything? I know this, that we have the good news of Jesus Christ before us, and the question is, what are we going to do with it? You all, you all have the good news of Jesus Christ before you, and the question for us is, what are we going to do with it? We had 12 of you decide for the very first time you want to give your life to follow Jesus this last week. 17 others of you decided you want to be baptized as an act of obedience to the risen Savior. Five of you, at least, are considering becoming a minister to proclaim the gospel as a vocation, a job. So many of you decided, I want last week to be a reaffirmation of my vows to the Lord, a recommitment of my faithfulness to him. It's a line in the sand, not that it's new, but it is a reaffirmation of what I've already decided in the past. The reality is, the tough part is, Jesus seemed to say, there are some of us who will not stick with those commitments. That's scary, It'll break our heart when it happens. It may even surprise some of us. And it breaks God's heart. But it does not surprise him. And can I tell you what else? You've heard this before recently. 
He has given each and every one of us everything we need in order to remain faithful. On your own, it may be too hard. It would be. On our own, this life is too much for us. From the very beginning, we started failing because of trying to do it on our own, our own way. And that pattern has remained since. Listen, if you try to step forward into this life on your own, on your terms, it will not go well for you. You allow the fear of the world to overcome you. You will allow the love of this world or yourself to overcome you. But it doesn't have to be that way because God has given you everything that you need to be faithful, to remain faithful to him. He's given us things like himself. From the very beginning, we see a God who walks in the garden amidst his creation. From the very beginning of the scriptures, we see God giving a tabernacle to his people to uniquely relate to and to worship him. A temple, this special, unique spot where his presence would dwell and the whole world could come and be amazed at this God of the people of Israel. And then we see God not just remaining in a place, but putting on flesh to dwell among us. And not just that, but to actually give himself to us so that all people might experience God no matter where they are at any time. That he actually gives us his spirit to dwell within those who are faithful to him. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within you who choose to put your faith in this risen Lord. This spirit of God which can teach you, which can remind you of the things that Jesus said. This spirit of the Lord which can correct you and convict you and train you in righteousness and make you more and more like the person you were made to be. Give you the power, the thing that he gives with his spirit to actually do what you were made to do. He gives us himself. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his own power. Jesus says right before he leaves the apostles in Acts chapter 1, you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses in the world. You'll receive power. You can actually do the things that you were made to do. You were made beautifully in God's image, intentionally in God's image, so that you could actually do the good works, the good things that I made you to do. That you could actually represent me in the world the way I meant from the very beginning. He gave us his word. His very word, the very words of God that reveal him enough to us. It doesn't reveal everything about him because he is infinite. And we will spend the rest of eternity getting to know the beauty of this diamond. That as we turn it, as we understand it better, we realize how much and how, few, how little we know. A wonderful, amazing God that has revealed enough about himself, about his plan, so that we know who we are. What he expects of us, this beautiful word that's meant to encourage us, to give us hope, to lead us to endurance, to actually be like a sword that points within us to change our mind, to change our heart, to alter our thoughts and to alter our passions, to align more into the image of the God we were made in. And he's given us his people. Here in just a few weeks, we're going to be starting a new series on the church where we're going to be reminded of this body of Christ, this family of God who unitedly do the will of the Father, who we were made to be, church. We're going to spend Saturday mornings reaffirming our vows toward God and toward each other, aspiring to be the church that Christ died for and established carrying on the message to future generations just as we have been given the message from generations past.
We are going to reaffirm our love for the Lord, our love for one another. We have everything we need to remain faithful. In the midst of looking at these mountaintop experiences, uh, in the flesh we might want to be pessimistic about it. We might want to be cynical about it. You older ones who have seen this all too often might just reject the whole process, but that's not the response. Don't follow my example of my youth. Our response to those mountaintop experiences, our response to the week that changed everything is hope. It's truth. It's training. Hope that truly if we lean into these gifts, these tools that God has given us, we can remain faithful. Truth from God's word to actually live according to what he has planned. Training that we can come together and be refined into the people that he made us into using the tools that he desired to give us. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, a very, very powerful song. It says, I will trust my Savior Jesus when my darkest doubts befall. I will trust my Savior Jesus when my strength is small. Sometimes trusting Jesus is the hardest thing of all. Brothers and sisters, youth Quakers, family of God here at Sunnybrook, doubts will come. Suffering will come. The temptations and deception of the world have come. But together, with the tools God has given us, we can remain faithful. And those mountaintop experiences truly can change our life. And who knows whose life around us it could change as well. Let us pray. God, you are the only God. You existed in times past, time now, and time to come. God, may we attach ourselves ever more to you. May we lean into you. May we attach ourselves to you fully and completely. May we reorient our lives so that everything is directed toward you. May we live as if we truly have the power of you within us, your spirit within us, that we're no longer slaves to sin and death, but we are made alive in you. Unite us to yourself. Unite us to your word. Unite us to your people. Lord God, remove sin from our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.